Hello, I'm David Oakes, and welcome to a very special episode of Trees A Crowd. I'm going to start, however, by making two apologies. Firstly, you will soon hear me make mention to Ratavara's Cantus Arcticus, a wonderful piece of music, but I falsely refer to it as Cantus Antarctica. And secondly, I suggest that Richmond Park has three species of deer living in it when it actually only has two. Basically, never believe anything I say on record at half past four in the morning, for that is exactly what time this recording was made. This is the first part of a two-part interview with the legendary sound recordist Chris Watson. Chris has worked with everyone from the likes of David Attenborough to Bjork, and you'll hear much more about that in the second part. This first part, however, was recorded early one April morning over a period of three hours, sat on the ground, leaning up against a tree in Kielder Forest, just north of Hadrian's Wall. I rose early to not simply conduct an interview, but to watch and hear Chris in action whilst recording the Dawn Chorus. This episode is subsequently a bit of an aural treat, a mix of not only the recordings I made myself of Chris in discussion, but also of the recordings Chris made of The Waking Dawn. So, close your eyes, sit back, relax, and imagine you're 50 miles off the northwest corner of Newcastle. It's about three degrees centigrade, and you are stalking quietly through a forest with nothing but a few owls for company. I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Trees A Crowd. In the depth of the forest, an old oak root, the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his branches, the ivy her mantle threw when the forest boughs were bare. Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh, the oak and the ivy, oh. Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, David. We're right on the southeastern corner of Kilda Forest in Northumberland in the part of the great border forest park mostly forestry plantation with lots of deciduous um, trees and a mosaic of marshes and burns and streams which spans the English-Scottish border I'm headed out from a village called Stonehoff on a track up alongside the Walksburn to one of my favourite woodland recording locations. And it's about, what are we now, 20 past four, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We've already heard an owl. Yeah, that's always a good omen. Been pair of tawny owls. <laughs> welcome or warned. <laughs> I'm pretty welcomed. <laughs> yeah, so it's always good to be here before anything starts. I really like that envelope of going from transition uh, just before sunrise going from quietness into a dawn chorus so here in at our latitudes 55 north um, the migrant birds that are on the way here or maybe one or two have just arrived it'd be interesting to hear if uh, record any. It's mostly the resident dawn chorus so I really like that sense of transition from if you came here in March this forest would be very quiet uh-huh. when we're here now we'll get the hopefully sort of burgeoning chorus from all the resident birds and come back in May then you get the full chorus with all the, the migrant species as well so it's, it's a really interesting 
evolution of sound over those three months. It's a really nice piece to put together and just listen to, hear those transitions if you sort of compress the time of the recordings. Over the years that you've spent here, have you heard it change year on year? Obviously you change, hear it change season on season, but do you...? Not here. I'll be in other places. Right, we just need to stop here. We need to check the GPS. Just put the stuff down. It's probably worth noting at this point that we're walking around with infrared head torches on in the pitch black and uh, having a wonderful time. The, the third voice you can hear is Pascal, who has got the most amazing... What is, what is that? Is that a directional microphone? Something living on it. It's um, this is wildlife. A, yeah. How dare it. <laughs> this is a, what they call a parabolic reflector microphone. And this, essentially it's working a bit like a satellite dish in that it takes sound from a certain direction and focuses it on the microphone so it looks a bit daft. Mm-hmm. But um, it's an incredibly effective way of acoustically isolating and amplifying a sound from a particular direction. So this is a great microphone for getting individual birds from the chorus or, you know. So what I'll do is I'll set up a microphone to record the chorus and then I'll go off wandering with this. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably never be seen again, basically, (laughs) yeah. Eaten by the lynx that is supposed to be roaming wild somewhere. Exactly. So what we're going to do is we'll go at this crossroads on these uh, paths, tracks. We're going to go down that way, put the microphone up, because there's a really good mixture of, as you can see, those dark, looming um, vertical columns of, of mature coniferous trees. Uh-huh. And then there's a path, or more like um, a deer track. Uh, and then on the left-hand side, there's a whole mixture of deciduous which makes it ideal if you put the microphone in the middle you get this wonderful spread of coniferous and deciduous dwelling birds Uh and we're recording in surround sound so you get a very it's a really nice rich but well balanced if there's anything that you could hear this morning is there anything that you would hear this morning is there a white whale yeah, I mean, there's lots, but I, I try not to sort of be goal unless I'm targeting something, which we're not today. The idea, well, the target is to get a an early spring dawn chorus. So I'd like to get lots of different birds, but the classic some birds are classic here because it's coniferous, so they're a gold crest. Oh, there's now. And there are um, crossbill, another sort of classic bird of coniferous trees. Uh-huh. Um, but even you know. I just still enjoy hearing all the common birds move things like because it's a good acoustic here, it's a sort of natural amphitheatre. We're in a hollow. Are you ready? Not quite. Well, we'll go down the track and just you can, we'll, you'll follow the head talk. How do you select where to put the mic? really sort of experience. What I don't want is anything super close because I want to record a chorus, a sort of an ambience, an atmosphere. I don't want things, so I wouldn't put it here right next to a tree where I'm likely to get a wren or something Uh perching. So There's something oddly perverse about making a sound recording of two sound recordists setting up their sound recording equipment. And not having to say anything. (laughs)
yards. There's a burn that runs a couple of hundred metres in front of us. It's actually got otters on it. Um, okay. Well, I've never seen. But so in my David Bellamy Ice Buy book of Northumbrian birds, we can tick off tawny owl and another. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I've both ticked them off previously, so I'm currently unenthused by this morning's excursion. <laughs> Well, you should always be excited by the ordinary. <laughs> you never know if this behaves. I've got 60 metres of microphone cable to go part way back to our position. And then we'll put on another 40 metres from there so we can get well away from this. It's a little bit like being in a cartoon and setting a dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And get up to the plunger. <laughs> I always sort of like it to fishing for sound, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's in water or in air. Yeah, I guess you spend so much time baiting up your hook, getting everything ready to go, and then you just leave it. Yeah, I mean, the animals, the beauty of this is the animals don't need the script. <laughs> so you can set things up perfectly, and then nothing happens. I think it's probably worth saying at this point that you're not strictly here because of the interest in birds but in the interest of sound in the environment as well as just the yeah that's where it came from yeah 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 um, birds are the most vocal animals we've got in this country so that's why i spend a lot of time recording them we're going to continue across the track do you have that on the cable yeah right here Thanks. We'll run this out and probably go over to a tree on the right hand side somewhere where we can work. Never tempted to build a hide anywhere. Yeah, hides are incredibly useful, but it's, it's time consuming. And uh, so if I was on a project where I was going back to the same place for a few days or a week or back over a period of time, then uh, yeah, I would, I would use a hide. Okay. So we've got a nice. Ground sheet. Ground sheet, which is uh, very good for us. There's no point. Uh, I once did a whole series of recordings and I was taken out by an ex SAS colonel who uh, I learnt a lot from. One of his first um, priorities on location was to just make sure he looked after himself and everybody else. He had this great saying that any idiot can be uncomfortable. <laughs> which is one of the best lessons I've ever learned. <laughs> this is great, so we're facing east. Uh -huh. So we'll see the sunrise through the trees and on the top of that ridge. I don't think I can remember watching the sunrise for quite some time. Uh, being from Wiltshire, Hampshire, Dorset, we went out for the solstice on a few occasions oh, yeah, up yeah, by the yeah. stones, which is amazing, but more often than not, you'd go out and be tired in the morning, so... You'd never actually get to see the, the sun at all. Yeah, if we don't get anything, this is just, oh, such a good experience. Oh. You know, it's cathartic. You come out here and sit up against a tree and listen to what's around you and, you know, watch the sunrise in synchrony. You know. sure. so the, the, and the interesting thing is what will happen here today, in not very long, is the dawn chorus is very badly named because it starts well in advance of the dawn. Uh -huh. By the time... The sun's up. Most of the dawn chorus has gone over. So I love this moment. This is one of my favourite parts. Plug everything in. 
tune in, turn on, and just listen. Yeah. That's really nice. I've got that classic sound of. I mean, these conifers are. They're not quite mature, but they're certainly. Um, what? 20 metres tall. Uh huh. And they don't have leaves, or, or they do have leaves, but they're needles. Uh-huh. And so when the the breeze, such as it is this morning, catches the tops of those conifers. They all sing the same song. You get this rush of sound, rather like a distant waterfall, of the wind catching the, the needles and sort of winding its way through through the branches. It's a classic sound of coniferous forest, and that's what I'm hearing right now. There's also a really small but quite nice trickle. There's obviously a burn. There was a little stream nearby I can hear that on the on the stereo but the great thing is apart from that there's nothing else so this is a perfect prelude to what hopefully is going to happen over the next hour or so is it now five o'clock yeah I think we should lose our torches yeah because what happens is when we've gone out there and just you know the three of us trying to be quiet creates a degree of, of disturbance which takes you know, can take half an hour for things just to settle down as to what it was like before we arrived which is another reason for coming early Pascal's leaving his microphone close to mine but leaving his recorder up there and then just he's walking away and he's going to do some solo recording with his reflector okay. on the other side of the trees so He'll be away from us. We may never see him again. No, if we hear a scream. Or I never liked him anyway. <laughs> we'll capture that. <laughs> you can hear some distant tawny owls. Yeah, I just heard it. They're always tawny owls. I think if they hunt through the night, they're complete or more or less nocturnal. But before they go to bed, before they go to roost, they always seem to have one final conversation between the birds in the area. So there's a sort of crossover period. Uh-huh. It was kind of like in the last time I was in oh, Sheffield. Yeah. A friend of mine and I, before we went to bed, went for a walk around the area. It must have been about midnight and we heard a couple of tawny owls flirting with each other. Such a wonderful noise. Yeah. And like the barn, which is such a screecher, the tawny's really mellifluous. Yeah. Let's call it, turn this off microphone, try not to call it noise, call it sound. Sound. I just regard noise as unwanted sound, basically. So it can be noise, you know, my sound can be noise to other people, and vice versa. I think I might use that terminology to describe some colleagues in my profession who yeah. think I make a particularly good performance. Yeah, well, it's... The problem is we don't have the vocabulary for sound. Mm-hmm. We say ludicrous things like, let's see what that sounds like. You think that's Michael, because it's unnecessary? No, because we just don't have to develop the vocabulary for it. I think it's Michael Chion, uh, um, the French composer, has, has sort of compiled a dictionary, as far, as far as I know, of different terms for sound. But we, we have very vanishingly few proper words for sound. Ian Rawls from the London Sound Survey has un- uncovered lots of old words for different sounds, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. This, what we're hearing now, is one of the most challenging things to record, and it's the sound of virtually nothing, because it's 
as I described her, it's the wind catching the conifers, the tops of the conifers. The deciduous trees don't sound like that. They don't have that uniform characteristic sound to them. So a lot of this, a lot of V sounds, which I call atmospheres, like the sound of Velcro tearing. That's Velcro in the distance. I love the sound of Velcro in the morning. You hear it, the little tweet. Yeah, it's a woodcock. It's moving fast. Yeah, it's a it's a display flight. It's not it's over us and not over the microphones, unfortunately. But so this is a wading bird, very cryptically marked, camouflaged, nests on the ground in woodland, and it has what's called this roading display flight, where it circumnavigates its territory in a, in a regular pattern, and it makes that clicking sound, but then it also does this very frog-like croaking mm. as well. And it's a bird you hear much more often than you see. Will you allow that to have the first song of the Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised I've never picked that. So I would cock. So I would, I'm guessing we'll hear that again in a few minutes when it's gone around its territory. It'll do a few circuits. Oh, nice one. That's a special bird. Unfortunately, it didn't fly over my microphone. So back in the day, you were coming out with a, with a tape player? Tape recorder. Wax cylinder. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, reel-to-reel. Well, yeah, I started off with a reel-to-reel tape recorder. And then when I was working professionally in film, then the machine of the day was a, a Nagra state-of-the-art machine, analogue tape recorder built like a Rolex and weighed as much as a Volvo <laughs> and I still use that occasionally for certain things because it has a quality of sound that's I don't know there's perhaps some sentimental attachment to it a nostalgic attachment to yeah, it it's the same it has a film and digital these days yeah, yeah. with the visual yeah, arts yeah. yeah ironically now you make recordings digitally and then put them through a, Filter to try a, and make a plug-in them. that makes them sound a lot I did some work with the composer Johann Johansson, who sadly died last year, and on, on his final film, that was his film, Last First Man, and, and you know, I wanted that analogue feel and quality to the sound, so a lot of my recordings, I made a whole series of recordings for him on my stereo nagra. That's two Tawnies talking. Yeah. I'll shut up and listen. Yeah. She's saying goodnight. 
Yeah, that crossover between the night shift and the day shift. You have to wonder if, if dinosaurs did turn into birds, was there a dinosaur dawn chorus? Though, yeah, I had some interesting conversations about this recently. Obviously, when the dinosaurs were around, there were no birds, but what there was was a myriad population of insects. So there would be cicadas or the like. Yeah, crickets, what came became crickets and grasshoppers, beetles and things that we've yet to discover. I made a, a programme for Radio 4 a few years ago um, called Cricket Cabaret about insect song and I found a guy in South America, an entomologist, who dis- discovered the fossil remains of a giant cricket about 30 or 40 centimetres long and he'd looked at its um, exoskeleton oh, there's another robin singing really close right up there anyway synthesised the sound of this giant cricket it's incredibly loud this is great should you just shut up and just listen for a minute Reminds me of my childhood, just waking up oh. and hearing them in the roof. Mm. Such a warm sound. Yes, yeah, that's a really good description. That's one of the great things about this, it strikes back. That's about sound in general, you know, whether it's music or any other sort of sound, strikes directly. What was that? I think it was a roe deer bark. A long way away. Yeah, it's roe deer barking. Might be responding to Pascal. <laughs> They can be, they can pretend they're quite fierce. They'll stand and hold the ground mm. and bark. And turn, they'll run away, turn around, look at you, and start barking. I think I keep hearing black cap as well, which is another really a migrant bird. Some do winter here, but the first one I've heard this spring. I love that I haven't seen a single bird. Here. Yeah, yeah. This was interesting as well when we walked in. You know this dark, silent forest. There's thousands of birds yeah. you know, probably watching us walk past. <laughs> you know, then. Here are these lunatics. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the chip chaff, he's there. Yeah. One of the most easily identifiable. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. That bird's have flown a very, very long way to do that. He just gets... More and dense, more dense, and more complicated. Every five seconds, yeah, there's, a, yeah. there's another relay yeah. going over the top. Another bird kicks in. There's a timeline to it. Some birds quite late risers, so the finches and things like that. I've not heard a chaffinch yet, but I bet we'll hear one later. So they get up later. It's never the first bird to sing. Great tips in teacher, teacher, teacher. I have a recording on my computer desktop that I play all the time, which is recorded, it must be about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, 
as the dawn chorus at Salisbury Cathedral. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, there's not a huge amount of light pollution, so it's relatively crisp when it starts, but you can hear the, the church bells, the cathedral mm, bells chiming. Yeah, brilliant. It's lovely. Mm. You, should, you can hear that. That's a classic. That's a great teacher, teacher, teacher. The annoying thing about great tits is now so many song variants. So bird watchers quite often say if you hear a bird and you don't know what it is, it'll be a great tit. Yeah, it won't be something exotic. Starting to see a couple of birds fly from branch to branch. Yeah, the lights come up quite a bit now. It's not particularly bright, but it's. Almost daylight. How do you feel sitting here with headphones on? Do you feel like do you feel like you're sort of betraying your own ears and where you are in space and time, transporting yourself to a place where your body's not? Is that? Yeah, what we're listening to is the with that microphone hundred meters away is the sound of a place where we can never be. Because if you were stood there listening, it wouldn't be like that because things wouldn't come anywhere near the microphone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's less bird song around us at the moment than there is around the microphone. And the reason for that, of course, is that we're here. You know, so we're effect- we're affecting it just as the microphone, our presence affected by the microphone is for a short period. But the birds very quickly accept an inanimate object. So, yeah, we're listening to the world through the microphone in a way that it's quite difficult to experience it in reality. Mm-hmm. But that's fine, I enjoy that. You know, I mean, we just love doing this, you know, coming out recording, whatever the end result. And listening as well as recording. It's the same with the wildlife photographers I've spoken to being behind that lens doesn't create a barrier as such that enables them to be more present within the space that they're mm. viewing. Mm. Well, because, I mean, literally with photographers and certainly saying you're focused, you, know, you tune in to the world in a very different way, which can be then very difficult when you go back. Yeah. Because we don't have ear lids, you know, we, we hear everything. All the time, even when we're asleep. The robins have stopped singing. It's quite quite nice now they've stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, the other things have taken over, so the wren, which is very persistent. Uh, yeah, 64 separate notes in 8 seconds and there's another one close by the microphone they can be really dominant and persistent but the singing again they're very territorial so the singing in response to each other it's really interesting that Ren if you you regard it like you just did then you're trying to mimic it but you regard it like a trill because we can't resolve the individual notes if we slow that recording down like I said there's 64 separate notes in an 8 second song phrase 
So, as described as a temporal resolution, we cannot resolve those notes too fast. It's like listening to computer code. So our brain constructs there. So, yeah. So we, yeah, what is believed, current sort of bioacoustic thought, is at other ends because birds have a different and better temporal resolution to us. Another wren can hear that because in that song the wren's saying things about its sexual status, its location within its habitat, it's describing, we, th- we imagine, we imagine always, mm-hmm. describing its territory. It's advertising itself to adjacent females, but it's also telling other males, back off, man, you know, this is my territory. All that in this in that thing, yeah, which we cannot resolve, but it's believed. One of the thoughts, anyway, is that other wrens can resolve each individual note, so they have a very different temporal resolution. Time is different to them. So although we're alongside these birds, these animals, we can see them, we can hear them. They're literally living their lives at a different speed to ours. So with the robins having stopped. Is that because they've successfully marked the territory? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so then they're, what they're doing now is going off to feed. You know, it's light enough now to see what, what you can find to eat. If you notice now there's a lull. Yeah. It, we've lost the peak of it. It's because actually it's a bit cloudy today. So that is what, about six o'clock now. We've had that sort of peak of the chorus, which is sort of forty odd minutes, and now it'll start to fade. So we we'll hear individual song. We might hear some of the finches when they wake up, chaffinches, things like that. Because once you've declared your status, you've defended your territory, you sung for a mate. The next thing to do is get something to eat. Well, they have not fed during the hours of darkness. Sex over food, huh? <laughs> And the mortality is very high. You know, one of the reasons birds are thought to sing is they declare they've survived the night. I'm still here. I'm fit. I'm able. But now they need to eat. What's just behind us at the top of one of these? Conifers is a singing is a gold crest, which is a tiny coniferous forest speciality bird. Weighs less than a fifty pence piece, and it has this really beautiful. It sounds like a, an old sewing machine, very super high pitch. I always like hearing those. It reminds me I can still got some high frequency <laughs> hearing left. But some people I work with you can't hear them. I was going to ask you that a bit later. I was going to ask you whether. Like, it's useful having headphones and having a microphone because your own ears can't necessarily pick up a little bit. <laughs> what? <laughs> we were talking about slow TV and slow radio in the car. There's something so wonderfully pure about just letting time and location play out. Hmm. I feel sort of bad for having to edit all of this together. <laughs> but that's why that's why I come out, so, you know, when I can, because for this experience, you, know, you, you can't. You have to experience it in its mm. entirety. You know? and, and you know, that's, and with my work, I try and represent that. 
to recharge you. Oh, yeah, yeah, crikey, yeah, completely. For the rest of the day, and then, you know, you'll think about this, you'll recall it, you know, in months to come, years to come. I do, because each one's a unique experience. It's never the same twice. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to, just to think, you know, even if you come out here, if I don't, as I said, I, I don't always do a lot of recording. I'll come out and ponder. Yeah, it's a good, this is a good atmosphere to rest your thoughts on. About, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes ago, I was, my mind was wandering a bit, thinking about other things I need to organise, things I need to do. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so I just turned it off and went back to the birds. Yeah. Best decision I've made all day. Yeah. Yeah, I did a, I made a piece about Benjamin Britten, I was commissioned by the people at Snake Malting uh -huh. for his centenary of his birth. And I discovered from that that he had these walks that he would do every day. He was quite an accomplished ornithologist, Peter Pierce. You go bird watching, but he took these very regular composing walks that he described. And I only know this because Rita Thompson, who was his nurse during his later years, I spent some time with her. I went to her. She still lives in Alborough. When I was finding out about his walks, and she said he used to work in the morning compositions and then sit down have a very formal lunch even when he was just with her put a jacket tie on have lunch get changed and go for a walk where he didn't want to be disturbed so he didn't take the dogs Peter wouldn't go with him and he'd go off and take a walk and he'd, he'd walk the hollow ways and the pathways around North Warren and mm -hmm. Thorpe Nest and he didn't want to be disturbed he didn't go onto the beach in case he got spotted and he just used the ambient sounds as his editing table, you know, and just worked, edited the material in his head from the morning. And I think a lot of us do that in all sorts of shapes and forms, whether you're problem solving or, you know, you're working something out. This is perfect because it's not nothing, it's not a quiet room, it's got something you can just rest your thoughts on. Mm -hmm and choose to listen to or not. There's a chaffing sort to sing there, that descending chatter. One of my favourite pieces of music is the sea interludes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can tell that Britain listens to things when you hear that because of the, again, a temporal recording of, of a location over time. Yeah, yeah. And the changing spirit of the sea, if you will. I, I went down Quite fortunately, the day I went down to see my my mum plays in the in the Salisbury Symphony. Oh yeah, cool wow! Yeah. And um, they were doing Ratafara's Cantus Antarctica, which is uh, basically a concerto for orchestra and bird recordings, which right. he recorded, I think, up in Finland. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. And that was lovely to sort of hear the sort of interplay between not just birds and instruments, but those specific birds on that specific day at that specific time yes yeah and the sounds that they were creating against not just a score but those specific instruments with those specific players in that specific church yeah. at that specific time and it's that sort of knowledge that you are somewhere once that everything has value you just have to be prepared to sit back and accept it for what it is nothing else yeah, yeah. It's lovely hearing that the delay, the echo. 
Having one ear on the headset and one over there. Okay, there's the crow, there's the crow. Oh, yeah, there he goes. likely to be more than you. Yeah, I spend quite a lot of time in Richmond Park and I mean they're always together. Oh, they're, the they're red deer, aren't they? Yeah. They've got yeah. three species in there now. The fallow yeah. as well. Fallow, row and red. They've got roe deer there? I think so. Have they? Well, I mean, the, the roe deer are native here. They're not a favourite with the foresters. Sort of nibbling sure. young conifers. So the, um, yeah, taking down the trees. They get cold a very good butcher in Hexham. There we go. There he is. I feel quite honoured that he didn't want to bark at us. I want to actually, for the podcast, I want to find someone who does the cull in Richmond or okay. uh, Hampton Court, Bushy Park or wherever. It's a pretty macabre side of it, but it's... Yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean, this is a man-made forest. We've created this environment. Um, and the deer are just one of the many animals that have exploited it. It's not that it's overpopulated with deer, it's just that we've created this artificial environment mm-hmm. in which they thrive. And it's like people culling seals that eat salmon because we want to eat the salmon. Yeah. And they get culled here because of the tr- um, well, the so-called threat to the trees. I don't know how real that is, but anyway, they, um, there are a lot of roe deer here. It's one reason why the lynx were introduced here. Lynx will take well. Lynx will take roe deer. Do they know how big the population is here? Of lynx, lynx, I think there was nine introduced. Okay. Not to this part of the forest, right across on the other side, where it's quite dense. Like that behind us, really dark inside. And but again, planted trees, coniferous plantation, but with clearings and very good lynx habitat. This is strange because this to, this is. I'm certain this is planted, but it's very random. It's not just like it's commercially planted. Yeah. There's that behind us. Those sort of dense ranks of much more mature. Is it the sort of commercial crop? Do you think it was hand planted? I don't. This bit, or? Well, all of it was all originally, was. yeah. But these are these are no more than 40 years old. But it's great because that's what makes the acoustic here, and, yeah. and gives a cover for the birds. My father lives down near Wareham and there's so much oh, yeah. foresting that goes on down mm. there, loads of timber taken away. And you go back year on year and you see the shift in the countryside. Like as soon as as soon as one patch of land is harvested it's it looks so brutal. Clear fell. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sort of raised to the ground anyway. And you wonder where all the the birds and the insects and the or if you're lucky pine martins etc where they will head off to. Mm. 
green woodpecker. That yaffle just had way down there. Just heard a willow warbler, which is another um, migrant bird. So that's three chiff chaff black cap willow warbler. That's a lovely sound of it going through the trees, of the air going through the trees. Mm. Geese? Yeah, Canada geese. It's unusual. That was a condensed version of the few hours I spent on the forest floor with Chris. It was a truly memorable experience. Next fortnight, you can hear the second part of my interview with Chris, where you will hear more about his work with birds, about his pop career, and about his extensive and continuing collaborations with David Attenborough. As always, head over to treesacrowd.fm to read my blog, where this week you'll also find the recordings which Chris made that chilly April morning in Kielder Forest. I'll leave you now with five slow minutes of those beautiful spring sounds. <laughs> 